0: Welcome to the Subject Composition and Light Photography Podcast. Show notes, links and contact details can be found at robnumphoto.com That's www.robnumphoto.com SCL is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network and loads of other great tech podcasts can be found over at www.techpodcast.com Now on with the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome to SEL, the subject composition and light photography podcast. My name's Rob from robdunphoto.com, and this is my little audio diary about my journey through the wonderful world of photography. Well, I hope everybody's been great over the last couple of weeks. The weather is starting to turn here in the UK, turn slightly warmer. We've had some freezing cold conditions, and apologies for anybody who lives anywhere really cold, like in the north of England. Scotland or any other country really because down here on the south coast we're we're a bit of a bunch of softies when it comes to cold weather but normally by the bank holiday weekend which is just gone which is you know easter we're um, basking in a bit of sunshine cutting our lawns digging our allotments etc um, but it's been really cold but luckily I have managed to get out on a couple of photo walks um luckily enough last time just after last time we talked i uh jumped in the car went to somewhere called Hillseed Lines, which is kind of on the north bit of portsmouth um It's somewhere that I drive past every single day on the way to work and I keep saying you know i've got to get up early and go and have a walk round um, because it's quite an interesting part of the city portsmouth is is uh, is it is basically an island that's attached to the mainland via a few bridges, um, most of the people in portsmouth probably don 't realize that it 's an island, but it, but originally it was, but then it 's kind of been joined up and The big advantage for the military for, for the navy was being an island was that you could have a moat going around it um, that was easily defendable um but the the problem always with with the naval dockyard at Portsmouth was somebody landing somewhere else on the south coast of the UK because um England or Britain never really had a big big army and then attacking the duckyard from inland, and so there's all these fortifications. And at Hilsey you've got some of these ramparts and some of these fortifications from, I guess, the Victorian era and before that are still there. And you have to remember, this was the time before artillery would have been able to fire um, for, far enough to be able to go over these uh, fortifications and, and hit ships in the duckyard from, from a greater distance. And you know, I've talked about uh, Fort Brockhurst. And some of the hills on uh, ports down here, some of the forts, sorry, on ports down the Hill, these came um, a lot later, because obviously as military technology advanced and artillery could fire further and further, the fortifications for the dockyard had to move further and further out. Until you know, in the 1860s, 1870s, when they bought, built these extra forts around ports. So I think once they realised then. Uh, when these forts could then be overfired, that really the, the only sort of defence was to have, you know, a, an army, a military force that could move around to any invasion threats, rather than have uh, fixed positions. But anyway, so on Hillsey Lines, there's 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 a few interesting things. There's the moat. Um, there's these fortifications. Uh, there's some interesting buildings around there as well. Um, it's kind of a the start of some of the industrial bits of Portsmouth, so there's an old bus depot there, which I think they're pulling down, they're starting to put up some barriers around it so i have to get in there and, and take some more photographs and it was an interesting photo walk again I was pushed for time, I parked in the car park, jumped out of the car um and I I'd driven past these areas but I had a really good line. But I had the three fifty D and my eighteen to fifty five on and I had my fifty five to two fifty ready to go and just, just, just walked around uh taking shots. There was one of the most interesting parts actually was there was a footbridge, a metal footbridge going across the the road and I found the the angles of that particularly interesting, trying to capture people walking across. But you know, I'm a bit of a wuss off them when it comes to taking pictures of people and I tend to wait until they're facing the wrong way, facing away from me before I took the photo. But it but it was quite good and I got lots of uh, quite nice photos I thought. And again what I find is, if you do go on a photo walk somewhere, you know, make challenge yourself at first to actually go and do it. If you think, yeah, that's somewhere I should visit, go go and do it and have a go. Take lots and lots of photographs, and again, the most important thing after that is to then edit those photographs out, so that the ones you share are what you consider to be the best ones. Um, and for me, that's part. That's just you know one of the steps in the editing process—the slimming down of the selection—and then the next part of it is choosing which ones that I put in my slideshow on Flickr. That again, I think are better. So I kind of start off with all of the images, and then I go through on um, Picasso. You could use Lightroom or wh- whatever software you do, and I choose my. I star my favourites and then uh, I go through them again and then take some stars off then I edit the starred ones, you know, convert them to black and white that sort of thing, Make make them a bit more punchy with a bit of contrast and then I'll look at them again full screen mode in slideshows and then when I'm happy I'll then tag them and then upload them to Flickr but that's not my final selection they kind of stay on Flickr as part of my photo stream but then what I'll do is I'll then a few days later go in and say right I like that one, I like that one, I like that one and then I add them to my uh, to a, a set I have called Rob's uh, photo slideshow I think and that's kind of like my be- running best of until at the end of the year when I when I review them again, I'll then look at the slideshow, and then I'll pick my favourites from there as well. So it's all about editing down. Um, I probably should do that extra editing process before I upload them to Flickr and only show my very best work. But I quite like sharing, you know, the process of these photographs as they come out. You know, to say that you know this is a series of photographs I took at a particular location, and you can choose which ones are your particularly uh, particular favourite ones. Um, I also got the chance to go on another short photo walk, where I went to um, somewhere called North Harbour, which, although I've included it, included it in with the Portsmouth photographs uh, on Flickr, the Portsmouth set, it actually is more. I think it's classed as Cosham, and um, a little bit, but a little bit further uh, away, um, and that's a. An, that's another interesting one because it's another place where I've always said to myself over the last several years, because I drive through this place every day on the way to work, this is a photo I need to do because it includes um, the, the, the iconic IBM building, which if you've ever driven along the M27 and gone through Portsmouth, um, you will have seen on the, uh, on the northern side of the M27. Um, and also... There's a few little industrial units on the A twenty seven and there's, there's this um big building, the um Port Pal Paul Building. Let me yeah, let me check to see what the building's actually meant to be called. Um, which is quite an imposing structure. Different companies have um bought it over the years, but currently it is owned by let's have a look. Paul, yeah, Paul Co Corporation. That's quite um it's it's I guess it was probably built in the seventies. And it kinda looks like one of those buildings from I don't know I'm sure my age now, but from like Buck Rogers uh this, remember the T V series or Logan's Run the film, you know, that that sort of uh, or Battlestar Galactica, those sorts of sorts of the original series I'm talking about, or the films from the from the late seventies, early eighties. That it's a, they're really interesting buildings, um sort of concrete and glass. And uh, so I wanted to do that. And uh, there's also the new Porsche building as well, which is kind of on on the A27. Um, and so I th- parked in the Tesco car park and, and, and kind of wandered around and, and took some photos across there. And it was quite a long photo walk as well. And again, it was another one of those photo walks where I got to a position when I was going around the IBM building, which is actually quite it's bad to say thrilling isn't it because I've sounded a bit sad but it was because it's private property although you're allowed to walk through it it's a right of way I was kind of thinking you know I'm there wandering along with my 350D with my woolly hat on and my coat on with a camera with a long lens taking the picture of this big building you know is a security guard come along and say what are you doing and I was going to say well I'm taking photographs um, <laughs> but I also there was a point where I had to decide do I go back or do I go on because I wasn't sure where this path was leading so I got my, uh, got my Android phone out brought up Google Maps and had a look at the satellite imagery and I could see that it led round to the Porsche building so I carried on round, took a few shots of that then walked back along the road along the A27 and managed to get in a couple of pictures of some daffodils for our spring photo assignment um, but that was uh, quite, quite good, quite interesting Uh, nice little photo and it was great to get out again with the camera doing one of my favorite things which is just wandering around a place taking photographs of things that catch catch my eye I've also spent a little bit of time down at the uh, allotment uh, starting to clean that up not as bad as I thought it would be after not being down there for a few months me and Suzanne are going to be getting down there this week because we've got some time off Um, and I'll share a photo in the show notes over on robnanphoto.com for SEL217 of a uh, it, it, it's, it's a conversion of a 3D panorama if you've got one of the latest Google phones like a, a Nexus or a 4 um, and I, probably some of the others do it as well is you know you can do a normal panorama where you press the shutter button and, and you move the camera it does a nice wide panorama well you can do a 360 degree panorama just like uh, the images that you get in Google Street View. So you stand there with your camera and you say start and you literally move the camera around 360 degrees around yourself and 360 degrees up and down and then it creates this street view like Sphere that you can look at photograph that you can spin around it. it's really brilliant it's really great. I mean sometimes the stitching isn't very good depending on how you've been holding the camera and one of the things I'm going to do is get my tripod out and see if you can do do them a bit better. but what you can also do once you've created this thing, you can ask it to turn it into a mini planet. you know those photographs if you're in the u k like the British gas adverts which are you end up with well, like this ball of color in the middle. And um, and that worked out very nicely and indeed. It was one of those great examples of how the technologies in our phones supersede that that we have in our cameras. But of course, the question I asked in the um, in the notes next to the photo on Flickr was, you know, is this one of the roads to the dark side? You know, I mean, it's all it's it's a fascinating photo, and it's a fascinating technical achievement that you can do. Um, but sometimes I think these things are there to distract us slightly they 're a bit of fun, but that 's what you 've got to treat them. You know it's, um, but anyway, so that 's there as well. Another thing I did this week, which might be useful to people who are into flashes or strobes um, or speed lights, is as you know, over the last several months' year i 've picked up lots of different uh, strobes from uh, from the kabutzuza Yo ones, and i 've got like wireless systems and stuff and i 've been playing around with portraits and and flashes. And I've now got light stands and umbrellas as well. You know, <laughs> you know the list you know, carries on. And one of the things I I bought fairly quickly as well when I got the flashes was a gel pack and uh, gels. Although it sounds very fancy, all they are is coloured filters, coloured bits of tape. And the idea with them is that you put them over your flashes so you can balance the light or you can change the the, the light on your flash. For example, the 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 light that comes out of a flash is meant to be daylight balance but it can almost be a little bit cold so the idea is you then have uh, an orangey uh, coloured filter which is just like a bit of coloured tape, a bit of coloured sticky back plastic if you like that goes over the they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not sticky at all they're just like bits of tape um, that goes over the flash and it will warm the flash up so things like skin tones are better and they're especially useful in situations where imagine you're in a room that's got tungsten bulbs okay and as you know if you've ever shot inside a room that's got ordinary bulbs and your camera's on daylight balance or even on auto often everything will appear very orange and the problem then is if you then have a flash that you then introduce into the room that flash is balanced to uh, daylight so you can have a subject in the room and you you pop the flash on them and they appear nice because they're uh, their daylight balance, and your camera's gone. Oh, it's a flash, it's daylight balance. But everything else in the room that hasn't been affected by the flash goes really, really orange, really too warm. So, what do you do about that? You've got different light sources. Well, the answer is to make your flash the same color as all those tungsten light sources, and then correct on the camera. So, you would put like an orange filter over the your flash so that is the same color then as the tungsten bulbs and then you put your camera in tungsten white balance and then everything balances so you, you can do that sort of thing and um, one of the kits you can do to do this is you can buy the Rosco strobis gel kit which is you know they talk about it on the strobis site and I thought yeah brilliant great I'll get it ordered it and I think it was something, it's only like £10 if that and you get loads and loads of these gels um, but in the in the little kit I got, there's, you don't get a way of fixing them onto the flash. And I thought, oh, it's a bit strange, and they're not quite long enough to wrap round your flash head and then attach them with like a um, uh, elastic band or some velcro or something. There's just there's just not enough length to these to these little bits of uh, see-through plastic, coloured see-through plastic. So I so I sat there for an hour while we were watching TV, adding sellotape to the ends of each flash to give them wings <laughs> so there was enough meat to then put an elastic band around to put them in front of the flash and also I cut out little white stickers and wrote on what the filters were because the other thing about the Rosco flash set, uh, the Strobus flash set, is that you get you must get 50 different filters and they've all got little white backings behind them telling you what they are but imagine if you dropped it you know, and they all got mixed up or when you're trying to Get at these filters. They're very finicky, and and you would drop them. So I put them in clear little um, like mini versions of food bags, zip bags, and uh, with the, with the descriptions on them. You know what you know. This is a warming 44 filter or whatever. And so they're 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 to hand. Now I haven't actually played with them much, um, but I'm looking forward to doing that. And I finally sorted out my problem of getting these these uh, gels onto my flashes, um, which instead of buying, you can buy these quite Expensive flash uh, gel holders that push onto the front of your flash, but I think my way is going to be a little bit more, little better because it means they fit anything. Um, Today, being Sunday, being um, the seventh of April, um, I took a little trip to Fareham, which is just down the road from Gosport, to pick up the new Rankin magazine. Hunger is out, so if you're in the UK, I think it's available in the USA as well. You want to get out and get it. Uh, in the UK it's less than a fiver, I think it's £4.95 and you get this massively thick fashion magazine um, with lots of stunning photography, by ranking lots of interesting articles and even has, uh, to give you an idea of the the variation you get in there there's also like a documentary bit at the back and there's uh, an interview with Don McCullen the famous war photographer um, and it really is very good, for the money it can't be beat, there's a few adverts in the front now um, but in terms of photos per penny you can't really uh, can't really knock it and Rankin is a great photographer you might not like his personality if you've seen some of his programmes but you can't deny his work is very very good indeed and Hunger as a concept to bring out this magazine that's pushing forward new talent and uh, great photography it, it is really to be applauded and I would say get it but also I am um, excuse me, just taking a quick drink because I was in Fairham I popped my head into TK Max which you'll remember as the, fact I've just got to pause the podcast for a second Just uh, sorry, I, I just noticed that on my recording software there was something I hadn't muted that was about to start playing um, TK Maxx is like this fashion retail outlet Clearance and they also have a book section so I went in and lo and behold they had some newer books and I've got this one for a fiver today which was Kylie Minogue fashion hardcover which is done by her and William Baker who I think is her fashion director and it's like a compendium of all the fashion work she's done, and uh, for her tours and for her album covers and shoots uh, for her career, and it really is a beautiful book. I mean, if you're a fan of Kylie, I mean, who isn't? Um, <laughs> it, it it's great in itself, but the book is beautifully presented, fantastic pages, and she's worked with some of the most iconic photographers, uh, fashion photographers of the last twenty years, and so the photos uh, speak for themselves. So again. If you're in the UK and there's a TK Maxx near you, um, get in there and see uh, see what books they've got in their little uh, clearance section because you well might well might find something that's very uh, useful indeed. And for a fiver, I mean, I've just had a look actually, and it's going for eighteen quid on Amazon. So for a fiver, that, that that's pretty good, isn't it? Now, and then what I did after that was, I went on a quick photo walk around Fairham so I was there and it was a nice day and the sun was out, you know, it was one of those nice spring mornings where the sky wasn't really blue but it was blue enough, there wasn't much haze around and I got some photos of of various buildings, the civic centre in Fairham that the town uh, council, I guess, uh, in the 60s or 70s, have built this high-rise office building, which uh, is quite dramatic, and uh, so that was that was quite cool. But it kind of uh, it got me out again, just taking out of photographs And I'm just thankful that over the past couple of weeks, I have been able to go out and and take plenty of photographs with my with my camera, because I'm well aware over the last several months because of the bad weather and me just being busy at work and inherently lazy most of the times I haven't got out so apologies if this podcast has been a bit of uh, me just talking about me going out and and taking photographs but hopefully it will inspire you to do the same one of the other things I've been looking at um, over the past couple of weeks well the past week or so is I've kind of got into that I need a new camera mode you know I don't know whether you get this or not but every now and again I get this, this incredible itch to change my camera. I mean, I love my Canon, my Canon 350D DSLR, but it is incredibly long in the tooth now. Um, it's, is it 7 megapixels or 8 megapixels? It's not much. It was the second generation of consumer DSLRs. Um, excuse me. The batteries are starting to lose their ability to recharge. Um, the internal screen, you know when you look for your viewfinder and at the bottom you have all the... Um, settings, with what should be you know, like your f stop and your shutter speed and stuff, they don't come up anymore, that's completely blank, which is a bit of a pain. So, I'm kind of getting the you know, idea it's, it's on its last legs. So, I'm kind of getting this this itch. Um, and I'm going to write an article about it as well because what, I st- what I'm dabbling with, and I still might do it, I'm not sure. I was kind of looking, you know, what can you get for your money? And one of the things that caught my eye. And, and apologies, again, this is going to be about Canon, not Nikon or any other makes. One of the things that caught my eye is the fact that lots of the really good pro and semi-pro cameras of a few years ago are getting pretty cheap. And so I was even, I was looking at cameras like the uh, original um, uh, Canon 5D, which is a full-frame camera, uh, 12 megapixels, which could go body-only for about £400. I thought so that would be quite interesting to go full-frame Um the advantage of going full frame is that you you get a slightly different look because the depth of field is is slightly different and you get the idea is you get better high ISO performance because the 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 pixels if you like are bigger Um, but generally these are pro cameras so they're built better Um, the other one I was looking at as well was was the fully pro 1D Mark II um, or the 1D Mark II N which is only 8 megapixels but it's fully weather sealed and it can shoot eight frames a second i thought wow how amazing is that and both of these cameras go for about 400 pounds um body only i thought well, oh, that would be nice wouldn't it you know imagine having a, a real pro body but then i was i started to think about it and think about it, especially with the the 1d mark ii it's a very heavy camera very big and even the the original 5d is pretty heavy um and then what i started doing was i go to um uh, dpreview.com which you, you must have come across where they do these very intricate reviews on cameras and what I tend to do is just go to the conclusion and, and read what they say about it and then look at the conclusion photographs the, uh, sorry sample photos and again I was starting to think well you know the to be honest the difference in the conditions that I take photographs on and in the difference between the photos aren't that great, and in fact, on CameraLabs.com, there's there's a uh, a really good article where he talks about, and he must he wrote this several years ago, talks about whether it's worth upgrading from a 350D my camera to a Canon um, 5D as well. And basically, in that he says the guy he says I can't remember his name, but he says you know you will be surprised at how little difference there is. Between the the two cameras, if you're using decent glass as well, because you know we all know that it all comes down to the lens you're you're losing, you're using. Sorry. Um, so at the moment, I've kind of shied away from them because the, the the image quality isn't that much better. And I think what I've moved towards, because it's a lot cheaper as well, is I reckon I'm probably going to keep my eye out now for a 550D body because they go for I think just under £300. I've seen them second hand from, from camera shops for under £300 with like a battery and a charger. And um, and the 550D was where the where Canon went to 18 megapixels. Um, and it's generally accepted, and it's got a HD video, not that I take much video, but it's got it, hasn't it? Um, and it, it was generally accepted that 550D is quite a big jump up from the 500 um and so i think and then also with that it's got the efs lens mount as well so i can keep my beloved uh 18 to 55 well i don't particularly like that lens that much but the 55 to 250 is very good indeed i think in my opinion um so i think that's what i'll be doing i mean if i see a cheap 5d or a 1d mark ii uh, model n come up on on ebay or somewhere like um uh, gum tree, you know, I might pull the trigger but I haven't got the money at the moment, I'm going to have to save up some money for a few months, uh, but I think practically the best best option for me would probably be a 550D body OK, so that's round about it from me, bit of a rambler bit of a rambler this week, um, hope it's been interesting, hope I've inspired you to go out and take some photographs in that lovely spring weather we're starting to have, remember we've still got the March and April assignments going, um Hi Keaton Spring, if you go to the Flickr photo group there's some great work being put in over there. Thanks to everybody who's put comments on the blog um, and taking part in the Flickr photo group, adding their photos to the pool. Thanks to everybody who's gone on iTunes and added a review about the SEL Photo Podcast. Really appreciate that. It helps to raise the profile of the podcast and give us more listeners. Thanks to Everyday Jones, who do the intro and outro music. You can find their stuff for free download at everydayjones.com. But most of all, thanks to you for downloading and listening to the podcast. My name's Rob from robnonphoto.com. You can email me at scalesmedia at gmail.com. And hopefully, pretty soon, I'll see you on Flickr.